Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This podcast is made possible thanks to Black Ballad's membership community. To find out how to join our community of professionally ambitious, socially conscious and culturally curious Black women, visit the link in our show notes. another bumper episode of Black Ballad Presents The Survival Guide, hosted by me, Jen Della Benson. In this episode, we are diving into the experiences of Black women and adoption, and thanks to Adopt London, I'm speaking to a range of women who were willing to share their thoughts and experiences on the adoption process. First up, we're speaking to adopters, and I spoke to Patricia, who adopted her 12-year-old son just before he turned four, Henrietta, a social worker with over 20 years' experience who adopted a baby boy, and Priscilla and Didi, a couple who adopted a baby girl. Just a production note. As with this entire season, it was recorded remotely last year, So if the sound quality drops at points, please bear with us. It's a really worthwhile conversation. The paths that people take to adoption vary greatly. So I was keen to know how each of the women that I spoke to came to the decision to adopt. First up, we have Priscilla and Didi, who explain how they settled on adoption over artificial insemination. We started our process in 2012. Um, but really, it's just more about arriving at the fact that we wanted to have children. Um, we were deciding between insemination and adoption. We both thought about adoption in the past separately before we met, and it was something we were both open to. So when we kind of got together, it kind of it, it was it just formed another basis, another way to have children, really. So we went to a seminar which is now called originally it was called the Alternative Family Show, and essentially for the LGBT. Um, parents or people who want to be parents and the LGBTQ um, community to come together and kind of you know, look at different ways of having children, whether that be surrogacy, insemination, adoption, foster to adopt, you know, there are all sorts of different, you know, different ways about going about it. Um, I think we went to a seminar for insemination and we put some seminars on adoption and we really connected with the adoption process um, rather than the insemination. We found the insemination I don't know, a bit clinical for us. I didn't really connect with it emotionally. So our, you know, our preference really was for the adoption route, really. Um, and that was all just based on how we felt in the seminar and how it came across and what, you know, we could do and help another child. 
I think there was a very specific line that was mentioned in one of the, um, and I can't remember who the speaker was for the life of me, but one of the th the way they positioned adoption was as something which breaks the cycle. So often, and in sort of a lot of adoptive parents, um, they will find that with their children, um, there has been a cycle, a pattern, so whether that be a cycle of neglect, a cycle of abuse of all types uh, of kinds, mm. um, there is a cycle in parents' history and then perhaps grandparents' history. And one of the things that really connected us to the adoption process was that there is an opportunity not only to have a child, but to break the generational cycle. So that was quite powerful. Yeah. Similarly to Priscilla and Didi, Patricia also knew after she got married that adoption was always something that she and her husband wanted to do, although it took a while for them to begin that process for themselves. After I got married, I can't remember when the conversation started, but we just knew that at some point we were going to adopt. And the plan was when we got rich, we'll adopt. <laughs> We soon discovered that there was no there was no right time, you know, when you when you want to do it is just go for it, and things always work out. Um, yeah, it's something we've always talked about, and um, we got to a stage where we found that we had we had the space in our home, we had we had parenting experience because we had children of our own. We had a, a lot of love to give and recognizing that there's a lot of need out there and is it became a niggling thing that you can do it, you're not doing it. And um, and to be honest, the, the time it started happening, we had uh, initially contacted two adoption agencies. You know, when you look, find these things online and you fill a form and send it off and nothing happened, and you know, you just continue with life. And but well, what happened was that I had a client and I, we were just talking about children and stuff and life. And I was saying, oh yeah, we we, we have a plan of adopting some someday, you know? And she said, oh, um, I used to sit on the children's panel at certain somewhere um, before. And if it's something you're really serious about, I'll give you contact of somebody who's, um, you know, can help you through. And um, before you know it, I got the number, made the call, and it was, things just took off from there. Even though it wasn't like we were looking at, this is now the right time, but it just happened. But obviously, we had it in mind that this is what we would love to do. And, you know, it's always been there. So that's why I said there's never a right time that now, because even when you come to a stage where you say this is the right time, things might happen. You know, life happens. And um, it's just like when you sometimes, I mean, I know sometimes you plan a pregnancy, but sometimes you don't plan a pregnancy and it happens and you just weather through things and things just always work out and, you know, Everything pans out in the end. For Henrietta, she and her husband had been childless for 15 years when they considered adoption. Due to her profession as a social worker and also the fact that she had family members who had adopted, the couple did have more knowledge than most about what adoption would entail. Of course, it was it's slightly different for my husband who didn't work in that area and 
never knew anything about that and had to come to the realization that that was something that might be uh, an option for us. It was about trying to provide information to enable him make an informed decision. Um, so I would say I, I supported him through that. Um, and I also tried to give him all of the positives, uh, you know, explain the positives. And again, like I said, we were lucky to have a family member who had gone through that journey as well. And we had begun to observe, you know, just the, the beautiful aspect of their lives. Um, and they, and they in fact, had conversations with them as well. And they were quite expressive about, what, you know, the joy that adopting had brought into their lives and in fact uh, can remember very clearly one of the persons said if i had known how it felt now if i had known this about kind of like 10 years ago i would have actually plunged into it unfortunately you don't have a magic wand to foresee the future so um that was really helpful um and i think having another a male figure saying something like that and just you know celebrating adoption was really helpful to move my husband along to where I was and after that we just decided it's, let's give it a go and um, there was nothing you know you can never know anything until you actually you know how it will impact until you do it you know there's no point in in speculating or or um, trying to just wait, you know, it was um, helpful for us to have that real life conversation with, with people. So yes, and that was how we knew. Um, but like I said, for me, it was a no brainer and it was a desire to be a mother um, outweighed any issue around, you know, what might be or what might not be. Knowing that you want to adopt, and knowing that you're ready to go through with the process of being assessed and the steps that come before a child is placed with you are two different things. And then there are the apprehensions that come with all of it as well. I think at that point, we'd had our single partnership in 2011. Um, we knew we wanted to have children after we were married. So I think that just happened like a year later. So I think we'd done a lot of work and had discussions prior to that for at least be three years, I think, yeah. before we'd actually got married, that we were discussing children, how to have them. We'd gone to the alternative family show, the modern family show now, it's called Twice. We'd been to um, information evenings um, for different uh, boroughs in London. And we looked at what type of agency. So we did a lot of research before. So by the time we were actually having our, getting married or our civil partnership, we pretty much knew what, what we were going to do in about a year later. So. We've done a lot of research around visited to did kind of different evenings and things. Yeah. Um, so it's other people who were adopted themselves or adoptees. So we just got a lot of information. But I think it's more about we knew we were ready for children. It's just more about, you know, how we wanted to go about having children. Really. Yeah. 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 It was very much a step approach. Yeah. So yeah. in a kind of do we want it? Yes, no. Yeah. Uh, okay, do we want okay, we want children. We've agreed on that. Yeah. How? How? And that's where that kind of spurned into adoption being the choice that we made mm -hmm. and then from there there was a series of options around yeah. agencies and we found the agency that we connected yeah. with so it was a step process i think well very considered it was a very considered approach really you know being a same-sex couple black christian there's a lot of uh, layers there so you we were going to hit one of those at one point you know at some point so we did 
um, and it wasn't necessarily from the perspective of um, our social worker or the local authority we were working with. It was more really just from our families, really. So that was where we hit our roadblocks. Mm. Which, indeed, you said there was a level of anticipation there. Mm. But I would say that the process, I mean, everybody talks about how intuitive the process is. And, and as he mentioned, it, it kind of needs to be. You're, you're dealing with the life. So there, there is sort of understanding that need. But there was an element to it that was quite cathartic. Yeah. Because you consider you consider what kind of parent am I going to be what kind of household do I want to have what things am I going to take from my background and take forward um and you really start considering the life that you want to shape and I'm not saying that other parents don't don't consider that but because you have those kind of therapeutic discussions with social workers you be quite deep so if you are open to it mm. I think a lot has to be said about being open to it yeah it really can be quite a cathartic yeah yeah we find it very cathartic i think a lot of people do find it you know they i think when we speak to some people in terms of even just doing myth busting so to speak when we talk about adoption and things you know people always kind of like uh, they really want to understand the process and why it's when was it so intrusive wanting to know so much and i'm like well it's for a child and i think if you we went through you know we knew that the process was going to be intrusive um, I think if you go and sit with, like I said, really open-minded and open to the process and really understand why they're asking these questions, you're less likely to find it difficult, I'd say. It, well, well, of course it's going to be difficult, sorry, but less likely to find it uncomfortable because you know why they're asking certain questions. So, we, we, yeah, we just went through it very open-minded. Patricia also spoke about some of the reservations that came up during the process. Even though it's something you want to do, the more you research and go into it and hear stories, you 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 have that niggling feeling that, oh, are we doing the right thing? Is it going to work out all right? And you hear, I mean, when you research on things, you find the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you read a lot of stories, and a lot of things will start coming to your mind. That, and the biggest one we had was that, um what if the child grows up and decides they want to go to their family because we don't know how the process we don't know anything about how it's going to go how what if the child gets up one day and say well i want to go back to my mom or i want to go back to my dad or what if, he, if it doesn't work out or if they don't want to stay you know all those kind of things go through your mind and um but when you're determined you know when you are going into something determined that come what may we're going to make it work it's just like when you're in a marriage you know sometimes it's not so rosy but you're determined that this is my home i'm going to make it work i'm not quitting so when you're determined when you're really focused on something and you're looking at the when you start to consider the benefits, not just not the benefits to you, but for the fact that it's benefiting a child, it's 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 impacting a child, and it's it's helping out. So the, when the focus starts to shift from how it will impact or affect you, and you start to look at the bigger picture. All those niggling things you have will, will fizzle out and you're focused on the end, end result and the reason you're doing it. So all those things did come 
but you just push them aside and you keep going that is you don't want the fear of the unknown to destroy what you're trying to do the preparatory course that we attended there were, there were four days preparatory course over a weekend that really really helped and it went a long way to diffuse a lot of our doubts or questions or things at the back of our minds and um, all the uh, fears and whatever we had was put to, to rest when we attended that course because it was very intensive, it was very informative. And um, we came out of that course more determined to continue with the process. What really shook me was the um uh the home visits where um you know when they go through the all of your life so it's like the all of my life being played in front of me and there are things in your life that you um you'd have sort of forgotten kind of and it's like all those things replaying in front of you and it's especially when i had to write a chronological uh, uh events from birth to present and some of the things i've never considered that i had to call my mom at that time to ask a lot of questions about my grandparents questions you've never considered things about your uh, upbringing, about your growing up that you've never even thought about or questioned because it wasn't necessary. So a lot of those things, uh, there were some emotional times because there's some things I discovered that I didn't know before about myself. That was a very challenging time. What I found, my husband being fine, he, he didn't feel that way, but I don't know, maybe I had a lot more baggage than he had. <laughs> So th that was a bit challenging for me and um, all the questions I had to call, my mom's late now, thank God she was still alive then, and I had to ask and find out certain things and that, that was a bit, um, that was a bit challenging. The home visit was, um, it wasn't too bad because our social worker was, was very nice. So it, it um, became like part of our family, it was always in our house and it was, it was, it wasn't too bad. And um, don't forget the fact that I said the preparatory course really prepared us, really helped us. And we knew ahead what is to be expected, you know, and um, we had the understanding that the social worker is not out there to catch us. They just want to know the, the facts, the truth, uh, weaknesses and strengths and things like that. They're not there because before, at the back of your mind, we just saw social workers as people who take children away from you and people who don't, they wouldn't want you to have the child. I mean, in hindsight, if, if I look back now and look at what I, the knowledge I had before I went into, through the process, you know, I mean, if you think about it logically, if there are a lot of children in care, why wouldn't they want to place children with families? Why would they be out to catch you or to find faults or to find something negative to say, no, we can't give you children. It wasn't, it wasn't as bad. It wasn't too bad.
all the adopters wanted to stress that while the assessment process can feel intrusive, it is all in the best interest of the child. And that is something to keep at the forefront of your mind as you are going through it. Let's hear more from Henrietta. It's a privilege to be an adopter. It's not something you, you, you know, you, you can just be. You have to go through the huddles of, you know, sharing your history, you know, evidencing you can do it. Um, and you also have to prove you've got what it takes to actually uh, love somebody else's child. So, yes, those were the challenges. Those were, you know, do I have what it takes? Will they like us? As a social worker, it was pretty much the same, pretty much the same. There was no difference. Um, in fact, it was interesting that um, I could not be assessed by my local authority. Um, so you have to approach your local authority to become to be assessed as a as an adopter. But because for that very reason, and um, um, I had to go to another local authority to get um, accepted as um, for us to be accepted. Um, and then, so it was pretty much, I didn't know who they were. They knew I was a social worker, um, but that didn't change the rigorous aspect of the, of the process. Um, and funnily enough, what I tried to do also was not to wear my social work hat in, you know, so trying to differentiate between professional and, and personal. So I needed to, you know, listen as opposed to thinking I know it because I've, you know, it's what I do. So to, so that I could really feel uh, what anybody else could, you know, and learn from the perspective of being someone who, you know, is new at it. Of course, it did help, you know, I was able to understand in the professional aspect of it. And then it helped me to explain better to my husband when he was a bit confused or, you know, asking why. So in one aspect, it was good. And the other aspect, you know, I, I felt everything in anybody will feel um, through the process. So let's get more into that process. I asked Henrietta what that looks like step by step. You actually contact the agency and express your your interest, um, and then you get a phone call, um, and you have a conversation with with the social worker on the phone. But part of the process, you are actually fill out a form online, and then they look through it, and then they contact you, have a conversation, and then afterwards, you then get a home visit. Uh, and then through that home visit, you clarify issues around that the social worker might have. Um, and then you then get information saying, okay, you, uh, we, we are going to be taking you forward. Um, and then you are allocated a social worker who would come and you assess your suitability or your application to become an adopter. And that person, you build a relationship, they come to your home several times and, you know, you tell them about your history, um, personal history, and then they check your status, they check your um, DBS, you provide uh, three references and sometimes more um, if required. 
and they interview three people that know you, one professional, uh, sorry, one family and two people that know you, um, maybe in a personal or professional capacity. Um, a lot of homework and reading as well. <laughs> you do a lot of homework and reading. Um, but it's all relative based and it has reasons. You want to know whether, you know, they will explore your motivation to adopt, why you want to do it, you know, what you're bringing. And then you do um, homework around, um, you know, chronologies, um, what your support system will be. Very important uh, about who will support you at very difficult times, just like any other parent. So, yes, at the time, the process had been reduced from eight months um, to six months from start to finish. So at the end of it, you know, the whole process took about six months. Once you've made it through the assessment process and have a child in your house, it's time to start settling in as a family. But like every stage of the process, experiences can vary. Because what you've just said is you were all separate people and then you were a family. Actually, what it feels like very much in the early months is you're actually just strangers. Had our daughter when she was a baby, so she was pre-verbal. So if we're, she's probably thinking it too. These two strangers are here all the time, and I'm now in this house all the time, and you know, oh, you know, and who are these people who just come in and all of a sudden dictating my life? And we're thinking, you know, what is it that she likes? And, and I have to be honest, we had a, a amazing transition mm. with our social worker. The importance of um, social workers and foster carers in that process. Yeah. Our foster carer we have a relationship with today. Yeah. And I would say that our foster carer really did help us with that transition. She, she knew who she was. She knew her likes. She knew her dislikes. But we also kept in contact. So there was that, oh, I recognise that face. I recognise that family and that continuation. So for us, I mean, the adjustment period is tough because yeah. you are strangers to each other and you're learning each other's ways. Um, but persistence became key, I think. Mm. And if you know, there, there are obviously single adopters, but if you're adopting in, in, as a couple, just staying together, debriefing every evening, seeing each other up every evening, you yeah. did that really good. You know, the way you got that, that bottle change was fantastic. And that was, <laughs> you know, it, it got that petty just because it's, it was just tough. So mm. any little ray of sunshine, was like oh, I'm gonna hold on to that. Yeah. But after a while, it just it's just not tough anymore. It just becomes normal. I think like any to be honest with you, I think we're probably just behaved like any other new parent would. It's almost like, you know, it, we had that kind of first kind of two weeks of being, oh this is really new and different and interesting. And then it was like really bedding down and having to kind of you know dynamics. Because we were a couple for like nine years before we started to have children. So and then we had a child, and it's almost like just resetting that balance over again. But it is like, kind of Priscilla said, I think we're just, we're just suffering from what most new parents, whether you give birth, adopt them, foster them, it's just that newness of it all, of um, when April first came home, then we went working. So it's, it's just new, everything's new, it's a new routine, it's a new, you know, what is she likes to do in the, you know, meet in the morning, does she wake up straight away? And it's all those kind of things, anything that a new parent would go through, I think is what we kind of went through, really. And then it kind of just became... A new normal, and it all just kind of settled down and kind of made sense, really. There was a point six weeks after um, she'd come home to us, we um, had our foster carer and her family over to our house. And there was kind of a moment where, you know, one of us were holding her and um, we popped into another room and we put her down on the floor 
And we thought, oh, you know, she's so she, she, she knows them. She, she knows them. She burst into tears when we walked out the room. Like, These are strangers. And our foster care went, that's a great sign because now we're strangers and you're the comfort. And it, I think there was a bit of a light bulb yeah. at that moment that kind of went, she'd really got a bond. Mm. So that was quite profound. I think. Yeah, that was nice. Henrietta spoke on her settling in process with her son. I was visiting my baby, you know, where he was leaving before um, with his foster family. And so that took about a couple of weeks, um, getting to know him, his routine, etc. And then after two weeks, if everything goes well and he's adjusting to us, and, you know, we were then we then brought our baby home. And and that was it, really. You start and you be a mom and dad. And um, the adjustment was almost immediate. My baby settled in very well. Um, you, you take leave just like any parent will take leave. And, and I took six months leave as I was at home with my baby for that long, um, settling in. It was relatively um, okay. Of course, the first few weeks, um, he was unsettled because it was a new environment. Um, so we helped him adjust. Um, um, and there was a time where, you know, I would literally, in fact, sleep on the floor just to make him feel um, okay. Um, so give him all the support that he needed to adjust um, and maintain the routine where which he had before. So it was relatively quite a smooth um, sailing adjustment. Um, and the most important thing was that I was there every minute of the day. Um, and that helped the bond and enabled us to grow in attachment. So it was a, it was not a difficult process. It was just normal making sure that you're there for a child every step of the way and every minute of the day, really. In Patricia's case, as well as her adopted son being older, there was also her biological children to consider. Her daughter had already moved out, but she had a son living at home when her youngest came to live with them. So I asked how that settling in process was with another child in the house. The ages went that close. So our son was like a big brother for the younger one coming in. So he looked up to him. With regards to, to our son, it wasn't, it was, I wouldn't say it's difficult because they, they, they got on quite well. So there wasn't any challenge in that area. For me, um, it was a bit difficult because um, my son had a bit of behavioral issues. He had no boundaries. And at the time when he came, I had to be home with him. I was home with him for four months before he started going to school or nursery or anything. That was a bit challenging because my husband was a nine to five um worker even though he was there at the weekend he was there in the evenings but through the day the times i had to be with him was a bit overwhelming and um yeah that was that was a bit difficult but again you're determined that you know it could be your own birth child i think from us looking at it from that point of view help this could be a birth child that you, you've given birth to, he's growing up, he's troublesome. Because there are people, I mean, I have friends who have troublesome children. 
and you just know that that time will pass it's a phase you know so you get times when you're overwhelmed excuse me but you still deal with it you still you know it's a family you see this child as my child you know that's the way to deal with it this is my child this is my family and we have to work it out whatever it takes whatever help we need to get or whatever support we need to get it's not an adopted child it's my child this is my family and we have to find ways of making it work and that's how we overcame you know all the challenges and all the issues we had we had a lady who's a, a post-adoption lady as well that we spoke to and we still spoke to uh to uh some social worker so you know all that support did help and um yeah and we got through it hey folks i'm mark Marin from the wtf podcast and this episode is brought to you by kleenex ultra soft tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. A key part of that settling in process for any new family will be the community that have gathered around them. And for some black communities, there are still taboos and cultural reservations around adoption. I asked the adopters if there was any resistance or disapproval expressed towards their decision. I wouldn't say I got any resistance as such, but I got comments like uh, people almost like feeling sorry for us that, are you sure? You know, don't you think this is time you should rest? You know, your children are, you know, you've finished childbearing now and, you know, are you sure? But it wasn't like a, a resistance. It was like kind of, are you sure you know what you're getting yourself into kind of reaction? Not everyone. Our close families know, they know us. And, um, but th- those are the kind of comments we got for, from some people, not a lot of people. Um, and I know some people will look at us and think, are they serious? You know, Or some people will look at us and will think, because there's a, there's a, there's a general, um, I don't know, misconception that 
they, they never want to give you children anyway. They do, you're just, they are just gonna let you go through the motions and it probably won't go through because they have stories of somebody who didn't eventually get the child or somebody who went down all through the process and there was something wrong. So all that is in the minds of people. So when you come forward as a black family, they look at you and think, okay, we'll see that kind of reaction. But there wasn't any resistance that, no, 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 you know, because <laughs> that's what we want to do. I think there's probably, it was a mixture, if I'm very honest. So community made up of immediate family um, and extended family and, and sort of friends. We had extended members of family and also friends who were incredibly supportive. Some members of immediate family were surprised. Um, and that's coming from cultural, a religious perspective. So it's coming from a whole range of different places, but some of them were sort of, well, why? why, why would you do this? And, and sort of asking questions, which almost, I guess in a sense, made you question yourself, because then you'd sort of step back and go, well, actually, why am I doing this? Why? And then sort of jump forward and further justify the reasons why you are. Probably say overwhelmingly, the support from our community meant that during the process, and I think what people don't also recognise is the time after, because there's also after that bedding in period, the settling in period where you're all getting to know each other because you're effectively strangers. The power of the community at that point was absolutely essential. Yeah. When it comes to support, post-adoption, the adoptee's social worker will continue to visit for a while to ensure that things are going well. And then there is also the local authority, the family GP, and any other specialist professionals that may have already been in the adoptee's life due to special needs or similar. As Henrietta explains, specific support needs should be evaluated beforehand during the assessment process. Part of the assessment will have gone through your support systems and the kind of support that you might need when a child is placed. And then when a child is identified before the child moves in with you, again, the conversations around what support systems you would need what would you know what kind of things will have will be required so the support is is actually built in an individual way your needs and the child's needs is looked at and then it's agreed before the child moves in so it's not just happening in retrospect it happens before there are many things that people think disqualifies them from being an adopter Sometimes people think they're not educated enough or they don't earn enough money. I would say not to worry about any of those things because those are not the, you know, the variables used or the criteria used to identify prospective adopters. And each person's circumstance is different. I would say just go for it, explore it. Um, and, you know, obviously each person is different and each situation is different. So it's best to, rather than hold a wave, rather than saying, you know, like we had, we obviously, you will say, are you good enough? You can never know what the answer will be, except you try. So I will say to anyone, you know, who is considering adoption, just try, um, because you just need to look at your circumstance and not others or what other people have gone through. 
There are specific organisations working to dispel myths around religion and culture as well. Didi and Priscilla also had some great advice for those who might come up against roadblocks from their community, culture or family. What was the actual reason that you were adopted in the first place between you and your other half or you and your partner, your husband, your wife, or your case may be? And that was really to form a family, right? So if that is your, that's your main goal. So yes, other people may have their concerns because they haven't been on that thinking journey with you. They haven't been on that journey of how we should we do this. They haven't been on that journey of visiting different, you know, going to different seminars. They haven't been on the journey. Or So I think if you bring it back to why you're doing it in the first place, and it is really to give a child a home, to give yourself a family, want to create a family of our own. You know, being black, you know, I'm from a Nigerian background, so it's from a St. Lucian background. There are cultural pressures in, involved, but I mean, to be honest, we had to kind of push some of those things to the side because if I, as a Nigerian woman, took on all that culture that comes with it because I'm, I'm trying to adopt and create my own family, I probably wouldn't have gone down that line, but it wasn't necessarily for my culture. I'm doing it for myself and Priscilla and I, my family. So some of those we had to let, let go of. But people can have questions, you can ask them. Some you can't answer. And I think you just have to make the decision for yourself and remember why you're doing it and just move forward. And I think as black people, the concept of adoption, we might not give it a wrapper. Mm. It is not uncommon yeah. for a child to be brought up by their auntie, a child to be brought up by a close friend, grandma. That's not uncommon in either African or West Indian backgrounds. Yeah. That's not something that's uncommon. We don't call it adoption. There is no title around it. There are no um, papers or court mm. proceedings around it. But there is, all intents and purposes, an adoption has happened. That's not uncommon. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't even happen within the family. It happens outside of the family. That's not uncommon. So the concept of it is not alien to us. Oh. And I say that en masse. It's not, an, it's not alien to us. Mm. You need to find the right agency that fits with the, your family, so to speak. And you didn't experience anything in terms of uh, any homophobic remarks or um, behaviour or anything in that sense at all. It was very, very welcoming. We had no problems with that at all. So I wouldn't, I would say anyone who's from the LGBTQ um, community to definitely go ahead. When we had our, um, our group sessions with some of the other, pe other people within the from the other adoptees as well, um, I think that would be, how many couples were there? Maybe four couples? We were, there's only one heterosexual couple there and everyone else was LGBT, so it was quite nice to be the majority for once, that was quite nice. Um, but I'll say to really, for people to kind of really approach it, they are very, very welcoming, they're very, very open to, you know, for you to adopting, the, yeah, and there is a lot of myth-busting to be done, I think, around adoption. I think people still have um, certain preconceived ideas about, you know, do you need to pay or to have to be, you know, to be adopted, do you, you know, do you have to have an amazing, you know, a job, just being a couple, and a lot of these things can be really kind of like, just a quick read and a bit of research, you can really quickly kind of dispel a lot of those myths. Um, if you find an agency who doesn't work for you, not necessarily because you're LGBT, just because it doesn't work for your personality, find the right fit for you, because then you'll have a much better relationship, and the process you'll find will be a lot more supportive because you have built that kind of relationship. So don't always go to the first one. Shop around a bit. Find the right fit for you as a couple or you as a single person or the case may be. Um, what would you add? I'd probably say as well, there's kind of a, a wealth of resources. The reason why we do the work that we do on Instagram via advocacy is to show presence. It's for visibility. But there are others. There are other um, sort of um, BAME adopters Connect and connect with people. people. And well, most often, when you approach somebody who is sort of badging themselves as an advocacy or, or, or in that space, they will be more than happy to have mm. us. We've had 
so many yeah. sort of DMs where people have asked us questions and we've just been able to myth bust. Yeah. As well as kind of speaking and advocates, there, there are people out there who can give you a different perspective. Things, um, and I think people might be pleasantly surprised by the level of reception that they get. When we went to the Alternative Family Show, we were been approached left, right and centre by adoption agencies. Yeah. In fact, people were welcoming us with open arms. Things might be different to what people expect. I think sometimes people also think that, oh, but does she really feel like yours? I mean, yes, initially she didn't feel like mine. I didn't feel like I was running away from the foster carer with her child because, you know, that's what it feels like initially. Because mm. you you don't have that, when you're pregnant, you have that kind of time to kind of understand what's happening, body's changed and everything. But when you adopt, it's almost like you go from couple to family that quick. So it does take some time to, even for her calling me mama, yes, that takes time, but... It's almost like we got to the point where it's almost like Ava's always been here. She's yeah. like, it's like we forget that we didn't give birth to her. She's that connected to us. It doesn't yeah. feel any different. There's still that emotional bond is you know, will always be there. Um, and they do grow into you. They're going to look like you, which is really interesting. They pick up your mannerisms. So they definitely will be your child, trust me. Now, so much of the conversation around adoption centers the voices and experiences of adopters. But there are adult adoptees who are working hard to change that focus. One of these people is Shania Ives, CEO, Director of Operations and co-founder of Adoptee Futures, the first UK adoption organisation made by adopted people aimed at everyone involved in adoption with adoptees at the centre. Adoptee Futures aims to help create a better future for adoption by reclaiming the narrative, reframing the world's view and helping adult adoptees heal through their trauma to evolve into the best versions of themselves. It is a registered mental health CIC and provides training, workshops, support groups, coaching and events. Let's hear from Shania. So I was adopted at the age of four. However, um, I was fostered by the parents who adopted me um, very early on, um, a few weeks old, maybe a month old. So I went back and forth between birth mum and mum between the ages of around zero to maybe two-ish. Then I was fostered and then I was adopted at four years old. My co-founder and I started Adoptive Futures because um, there is a massive lack of support and a massive lack of understanding um, for the adoptee experience. When you kind of Google support, when you look for support, when people even think of adoption, the first thing that people think about is adoptive parents. We thought it was insane that adopted people, the people who have gone through the trauma, had no support and no one really thought about us. Um, we were kind of trying to connect with other people to increase adoptee support. However, we as adopted people thought, okay, we actually need to do something for us, by us, and not just not just for us, but for other people to join us because we believe that we all need to kind of change and better shape the future of adoption together. One of the easy things that we can all do in terms of changing the conversation around adoption is to drop out certain tropes and expectations that don't centre the well-being of adoptees. When people talk about adoption, they tend to tell you how your adoption has been because they are painted a narrative that adoption is beautiful. Adoption starts with a family that 
is going through so much that they have to have their child taken away. I think that if people kind of understand that, what has happened that is so bad to have your child taken away? So that has happened, but people tend to think that, you know, it's it's a beautiful thing. So um, I think that telling adoptees that they should be grateful, telling adoptees that they've had an amazing life when, you know, I, I had an amazing childhood with my mom and dad. However, I had a traumatic start to life. I think that adoption is the only trauma where people feel entitled to your story. So if I tell people that I'm adopted, they ask me why. And for me, I was adopted because my mother was a drug addict. She couldn't look after me, I was neglected. And so for a stranger to ask me why am I adopted and to feel entitled to know this information about me is not okay. And then for me, if I do decide to then go on explain this, people will ask, well, would you have rather been in an orphanage? Aren't you grateful that you, you have a loving family? Oh, it doesn't matter, why does it matter? When adoptees are talking about our experience, it's such a difficult thing to do. So I feel like it's very unhelpful when people, like I said, tell us how we feel, um, ask us questions that are quite nosy um, and also kind of project their feelings about what adoption is onto us. In following the work of Adoptee Futures, one phrase that I've seen come up time and again is the phrase, adoption is trauma. For prospective adopters, this phrase can be intimidating. But Shania explains what it means and why it's important for all involved in the adoption process to recognise this psychological fact. Um, adoption is a developmental trauma and this is a trauma that happens to a child um, in the very start of their life in their key relationships. So this can happen when a child is separated from their, their natural family. There's a study that says that children below the age of 11 who are separated from their birth family are more likely to develop depression, anxiety, stuff like this. So that breaking of the family is what starts adoption and that is a developmental trauma. So I think it's important to note that Developmental trauma is not the fault of adopters. It's just what happens at the start of the life. The reason that anyone is adopted is because something terrible has happened. No one is removed from their family because everything is okay. Something terrible has happened. It shouldn't have happened. And we are where we are. So one of the, the most important things for people adopting to know that this trauma has happened and this will affect the child over their childhood and it can affect them into adulthood. It can cause issues with sensory development because that trauma causes the child to be constantly in fight or flight mode because they constantly feel in danger. This can span to adulthood. Me, I'm 21 years old now. I still have an overactive fight or flight mode. So my body still feels in danger from what happened when I was zero. So sensory development, it can lead to problems in attachment. And um, we know that when a child isn't attached, then an adult isn't attached and they have problems with relationships. It can lead to dissociation. So children can dissociate and this leads to adulthood as well. It can lead with problems in cognitive development. So this really, 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 really affects children so much. So I think that it's important that we don't really see it as a concept or as an idea, but we see it as a psychological fact. And 
and this is why adoptive futures are kind of trying to teach people about this because when we think about adoption we're painted a beautiful picture of a child who needs a family who gets adopted and then they ride off into the sunset but it's so important to honor the first stage of this child's life this child has had a family what has happened to that family why couldn't they look after them what struggles do they have that's okay that was the start of my life in my opinion honoring that first stage is knowing that when you adopt a child, you, you're not adopting a brand new baby. It's not a shiny new thing. This child has had a life before you and it's, it's had trauma before you. Um, so when you adopt a child, you're not just adopting a child, you're adopting their family too. We have birth families. No matter what has gone on with them, we have birth families and it's our right to feel however we want to feel about our families. As a parent can love more than one child, an adopted person can love more than one set of parents. So I would say honouring your child's, your child's um, first steps in life would be the acknowledgement that they have a birth family. My mum and dad always spoke to me about my birth family. They would say, you know, your tummy mummy did this, your tummy daddy did this. Um, they, I had pictures of them. Um, they, were, they were quite vocal about it, um, if I ever had any questions. We also had um, a service called Letterbox Contact, which is when um, adoptive parents and birth parents are able to send letters um, to one another. So um, my mum would, engage me in that so she would say okay i'm going to write a letter to um your tummy mummy um what what do you want to put um what pictures do you want to take or um what i particularly loved was that she would um kind of set up a kind of photo shoot so she'd say right we're going to take pictures specifically to send to your tummy mummy so when you're adopting a child you need to be in a place where you are selfless because this child has you, but it also has another family. And you need to, this needs to be honored. It really helped me that my parents honored this. They didn't hide it. They didn't show any signs of any negative feelings when I spoke about my, my birth family. I feel like it's so important to, to acknowledge that this child has been through a trauma. Um, and so, you know, many adopted children People deal with trauma in different ways, so we all have different reactions, but many adopted children are kind of going to grow and they're going to go through a difficult phase or there are going to be certain behaviours that are that are uncomfortable for, for us, so then uncomfortable for our parents so kind of acknowledging that it's not going to be, you know, the most simple ride. Um, and having the support around you to be able to, you know, handle that, to be able to fall back on people because, you know, you can't pour from an empty glass. So making sure that you support yourself, um, like I said, making sure that you're ready to um, talk to your to your child about their past, about um, their birth family, um, allowing them to, you know, um, contact their birth family if it's possible and um, if they want 
want to go into reunion to to do that with them um also if we're thinking about transracial adoption which is when um parents of one ethnic group adopt a child of another ethnic group if we're thinking about this it's about um acknowledging also that child's culture and seeing yourself as now as a like a multicultural household so my mum is black but my dad is white so kind of you know not thinking okay we are we are a family of this um of this race now my child is of this race no you you can't ignore where that child comes from you can't ignore that child's roots so implementing in your day-to-day life kind of aspects from that child's culture another dynamic to be carefully considered is adopting a child into a family where there are other children. I asked Shania what can be done to ensure that the well-being of the children are centred in that process. I can only draw from my personal experience. So I have um, an older sister and an older brother, Um, but my parents before adopting me fostered a lot. So I think they were kind of used to having children around, but from what I can think of, it would be honesty and openness, always, you know, discussing um, how the different particular children might feel because we don't know how, everyone reacts differently, like I said, so we don't know how um, the, the birth children will react, we don't know how the adopted child will react, you could have a situation where the birth children feel left out because the adopted child has got so much attention, or you could get a situation where the adopted child feels a bit rubbish because they're thinking, well, I'm adopted and you guys aren't, so I think it's different for each family, so I think it's about really being present present with all of your children I'm not a mother but I feel as a mother you know your children so noticing whether you know they've become more withdrawn or the different ways the children are interacting and then really trying to cater to each child's need and giving them that that honesty and having open communication when a child is adopted hopefully ideally They are adopted not just into a family, but into a wider community of extended family and friends who can support the adoptee and their family through the transition. I asked Shania about the holistic ways that communities can support any adoptees and adopters within them. I think that to support adopted children, it's vital to understand it's vital to kind of understand what they may be going through so the only way that we can try to understand adoption if we're not adopted is in my opinion to listen to adopted adults because adoption is it's a mind filled when you're adopted there are so many different emotions that you feel that I I couldn't even put a name to them so I think that it's impossible to understand what it's like to be adopted unless you are. So listening to people who have gone through what your child may or may not go through, and I really emphasise that may or may not because everyone is so different. So what I've gone through, someone else might have a completely different experience. Um, There are so many adoptees out there that are sharing their experience now, um, talking about, for example, the trauma of adoption, because in in my mind, it's so so blatant. It's um, in all of the psychology books that I read. It's, It's everywhere. So kind of understanding 
um, and listening to what these people who have been through adoption are saying, so talking about the honesty, talking about um, shame, talking about guilt, um, talking about mental illness, I think that listening to those perspectives and kind of putting them, having them in your mind um, so that you can be aware for when um, your child is, is growing and then if there are situations that are difficult, therapy can be super helpful. Um, I know that now there are different therapists that are working not just with the child, but with the child and the parent together. So kind of having that connection and that attachment with the whole family. From my perspective, I feel like just kind of knowing that my parents are there, that they support me. As an adoptive parent, you can't heal your child no one can heal anyone we might think that we can fix people you can't and as an adoptee you can feel when someone is trying to fix you and it makes you feel like there's something wrong with you as adoptees we're so strong we've been through a trauma at such an early age we are able to fix ourselves but just knowing that your parent is there able to hold your hands you know i'll sit with you through this whilst you work that out i think that that is vital in our journey I think that it's vital to be, for us to be more trauma-informed. Um, I think that schools, teachers, doctors, there needs to be some education around there about the different traumas that children go through because it's not just adopted people that go through trauma, you know, foster people go through trauma. People who aren't adopted as children can go through trauma. And going into school when you're living in fight or flight mode, you can present behaviors that your teachers may think oh well you know that child is just zoning out why aren't they listening to what i'm saying why why is this child lying to me when in fact this child might be dissociating this child might have dissociated and not remembered that they've done a certain behavior and they generally are saying to you i haven't done this but in your mind they're lying to you so educating yourself on okay what are the different things that I need to look out for what what could be a sign of trauma what could be a sign that this child actually needs help and how can I approach this in a in a soft way um, in a caring way because I know that it can be frustrating when a child might be presenting all of these behaviors but thinking actually how can I be compassionate is there actually something behind this so yeah to answer your question I would definitely say education um, we need to work towards being more trauma-informed. I learned so much about the adoption process speaking to Patricia, Henrietta, Priscilla, Didi and Shania. If you are interested in becoming an adopter or just want to find out more about Adoptee Futures and other organisations and people working and advocating in this space, check out our show notes. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Black Bella Presents The Survival Guide. If you have enjoyed this episode, rate, review us and share the link with anyone who might find it useful. This podcast was produced by Black Ballad and the theme tune for this episode is by The Rail Banks. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.